0: to the book of Mark 16. It's a very famous portion of scripture. And this is something that we must live within our lives. 16 beginning of verse 15. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. But he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. My, in my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They lay hands on the sick and they will recover. See, this is our verse in Victory Outreach. You know, sometimes we think, well, that was those guys. No, 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 it's us. It's us. We are the ones that are called to go out and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, United We Can was birthed with this great commission in mind. That was the heart of Pastor Sonny. I remember in 1993, the World Conference in Pomona, they had two big giant tents sewn together. And that's where United We Can started. And I remember sitting there and hearing the call to go and take nations. That's when United We Can was birthed, but also the call went out. It went out to inhabit the cities of the world. And I remember sitting there, I was only out of the home one year. And I remember I was with the home helping direct, and I remember sitting there and God was speaking to me, telling me, you know what, I have called you to go to the Philippines. And it it wasn't during any preaching, it was during the worship. Let me tell you the power of worship. When you begin to worship God, things begin to change within your life. You begin to hear the voice of God. God takes you to new levels. Amen. Are you with me? Not only did I receive my call to be a member of United We Can, but to be a participant in the global vision that God has for our ministry. And I believe that same call is going out to you and I, you and everybody here today, even those of you that are listening. God is calling us to be a powerful end time ministry that is going to to go out and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and signs will follow you. That's my first point. Number one, go into all the world and preach the gospel. The key word here is go. Well, the Bible says many are called, but few are chosen. The ones that are chosen are the ones that line themselves up with the call of God upon their life. In other words, they know they're called to go, so they begin to prepare their heart. They begin to prepare their mind. They begin to prepare their physical body. They get ready to take that plunge and go. It's a lot of call, but fewer chosen. If you want to be one of the chosen, prepare yourself. That's why we have Veti, right, Pastor Paul? Pastor Greg, we got Vetti to prepare you to go out and take the world. I remember when I got back, they already had a team that was picked to go to the Philippines. And I, I wasn't even being considered because I just got out of the home. And I remember telling Pastor Steve, Pastor Steve, I'm called to go to the Philippines. Okay. And he would walk, yeah, yeah. And he would walk away. But I bugged him like every week. Oh, that's me, Pastor. I'm going, I'm going. Okay. But pretty soon he started saying, by faith, Daryl's going to go by faith. He wasn't even sure. I called Pastor Richard, who was going to be the pastor there. I called him. I said, Pastor Richard, I'm going with you to the Philippines. You know what he did? He hung up the phone. I called him back. I said, you know what? I'm going. And I hung up on him. Amen. (laughs) Let me tell you something. When you have the call upon your life, no man can take that away. And pretty soon, man, pretty soon the team started dropping off. In 1994, in April, we got on a plane, Philippine Airlines. It was me and Pastor Richard. That was it. That was, we were the team. And we got in our seats, and we're sitting there getting ready to take off, and I said, I told you. <laughs> but see, when you have the call of God upon your life, you got to prepare yourself. you got to do what you need to do. I'm called to go to the mission field. What well, do you got? a uh, passport, have you prepared, have you taken care of all your bills, have you taken care of business, are you ready to leave what you have here and go somewhere where you've never been? I remember when reality struck when I was in the plane, and I'm going, oh, my God, I'm going to a different country. <laughs> oh, my God, I didn't believe it. And I was starting to freak out a little bit. <laughs> you know, what am I doing? I'm not ready for this. I'm not prepared for this. But I remember touching the ground in Manila, and I was just filled with a peace that surpassed all understanding, knowing this was the place I was supposed to be at. That's what happens when you follow the call of God upon your life. Even though you might be scared at first, you will get the peace that surpasses all understanding. I remember Dr. Don Kua picked this up. That was the two numbers that Pastor Steve had when he called when he got to the Philippines. There was only one that answered, and that was Dr. Don Kua. He picked us up from the airport. We didn't have nowhere to go, didn't know nothing. And he takes us to this little mission house he had. There was one bed with no mattress, just springs. Pastor Richard got that. I got the floor with the cockroaches. Amen. I didn't know that until I went to sleep. (laughs) I didn't know they were this big, and they fly and they bite. Amen. But that very first day, he took us to a place called Smoky Mountain. I could not believe my eyes. It was a mountain of garbage, and it was smoking because of the garbage. And you would see naked children running through the garbage. They had a stick in one hand and a bag in the other hand. And they were using the stick to fight off rats that were as big as them. My heart broke. I began to cry, and I began to weep for those people. That was in Tondo, Manila. It's not there anymore, but it was. It was like God was showing me something that there was more than I thought there was to life. It just broke my heart. The next day we got up out of the missionary house fighting the cockroaches, and it started to rain. When it rains here, they say there's a storm coming, and you don't see anything. A couple drops, couple drops. When it rains there, it rains. Within 30 minutes, there was a flood. And I remember we were leaving the house, and so we're pulling up our pants, and I'm seeing cockroaches back backstroking so they can stay alive on the water. <laughs> it was crazy. It was crazy. But that was my open first time in the Philippines. Mission Field, here we go. You know what we did? We took tap water, which was very dirty. This is not too bad got a couple things floating but not that (laughs) but their water was cloudy and we said you know what let's just get it over with let's get sick and get it done so we did a toast we drank it down and we were sick (laughs) I'm not gonna tell you the details amen you'll figure it out but sometimes in your life you got to go to that mountain Sometimes in your life you got to go through that flood. Because if you're going to find out what God has for your life, you're going to stretch yourself a little bit. You got you got to be willing to take a chance and do something you've never done before. Are you with me? You got to take that challenge. Number 2. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. See, being there for only a week, we didn't have a home. We didn't have a place to have church. We didn't have nothing. So every day I'd go out looking for drug addicts. They weren't that hard to find because I found them everywhere. I would find an interpreter. Didn't know if he was saved, but I would use him anyway. And we'd go out and we'd witness. Little by little, we'd start to get guys, and I'd start to get guys, but then I didn't have nowhere to bring them. One day, a, a door opened up for us to show. The only thing I had was my testimony, and I had the cross and the switchblade and these big old things. I was carrying them around like this, trying to find somebody with a projector. And the opportunity, the first time we used it was called a place called the Norma Building. And we showed it there. I walked in, and I see like 300 moms. And they're getting clothes and supplies. Norwegian, Norwegian Missionary Alliance was running it. And they were giving supplies, school supplies, to the kids. And I, I remember that I walked in. I'm going, wow, there's a bunch of ladies here. Wow, ah, what the heck? God loves them, you know? So we I showed the movie. I got a guy to do the projector. And by the time the movie was over, whether they understood or not, I even had, a, I had to find another interpreter on the street that spoke English. Didn't know if he was saved, but who cares? God's going to use them. And we did an altar call at the end, and they all gave their hearts to Jesus Christ. God moved so powerfully that day that the lady that ran the place said, you know what, could you do something every week here? I said, well, let me talk to my pastor. We'll see, and I'll, I'll get, he'll get back with you. So I get back to the missionary house, and here he is. He's looking for a home, a men's home, and he found one in Pasay. Now, Pasay, there's two dangerous places in the Philippines, Dondo and Pasay. They're notorious for gangs and drugs and all that. It was the perfect spot, the perfect spot. And so I go back, and I tell him what happened, that he, this lady wants to meet with him. And so he goes the next day, and he talks to her. And that very Sunday, Victory Irish Manila was born. We had a church. We had a church. The reason we did was because of United We Can. So every one of you that gave, you're part of that vision. You're part of that mission. Are you with me? I remember the first time we got into the house, when we moved into the house, it was pretty easy because we didn't have anything. All we had was our luggage. It was already packed, so it was pretty easy. I remember sleeping on the wood floor upstairs and I'm hearing all this stuff and I'm looking out the window. There was like a, uh, a small little street outside behind the wall. We had a big wall. And I see this cop and he's taking drugs from this dude and he slaps him. The guy leaves. Then he gives some other dude the drugs to sell for him. And that was a cop. I'm going, man, we're in the right spot. Because there's a lot of corruption here. Are you with me? See, with no traffic, Posse would be like 15, 10, 15 minutes away. But with traffic, it could be over an hour easily. And there was always traffic. But sometimes we would walk because we didn't have a van. Later on, United We Can Ken furnished the house, gave us beds, and a van so we could not have to walk to church. Because it was like a two-hour walk. and I was getting tired. I'm getting old, man. <laughs> but God is good. Amen. But see, you were part of that blessing, everybody that gave. My third point is this. Signs will follow those who believe. That doesn't, doesn't say missionaries. doesn't just say the apostles. Any one of us that believe, signs are going to follow us. They will follow us. Isaiah 45, 2 and 3. I will go before you and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places that you may know that I, the Lord who called you by name, I am the God of Israel. What I learned on my journey is I needed to grow to fit the calling that God had for my life. So I enrolled into a Bible school there in the Philippines. And after I had a couple guys, I would take the ones that were a little mature, and I'd take them to school with me. And we go to Bible school and we ended up running the evangelism teams. Who else? <laughs> so we began to run these teams and they were all timid. Sometimes I'd take them on the bus and we'd go, start sharing our testimony. And I had June, June was with me. And boy, this guy was a hot, hot pistol of evangelism. And we would testify on the bus and, and we had, we'd go to the next guy. We had even a little bullhorn. Like, yeah, use this. And they would go, ah, da, da, da. they wouldn't say nothing, they got scared. Even coming home, we would, we would take them with us. We'd get on the bus together because we had to travel like that. And we'd get on the bus, and they'd go with us. And they, they seen we'd always start witnessing every time we'd go out. And they started to avoid us <laughs> because they didn't want to get on the same bus. So we would hide. <laughs> and after they got on the bus, we would get on the bus and hand them the mic. And, <laughs> and we'd start doing it again. So they couldn't get away from the power of God. They be, eventually, they got it. They caught it. I remember Butch Belica. You probably heard his name. He was a very famous uh, drug addict and gangster that got saved in the Philippines. He even became a, a counselor or something. His, his son is actually a senator now. He went to our church also. And his other son's a lawyer. But his mom, she was the director of the FBI drug uh, drug program. She was on my evangelism team. When I went out with her, she would slam them against the wall and show her back. No, no, no. That's not how we do it. We compel them. We don't arrest them. But these are the things we had to work out on, on the field. Amen. She was funny. But by our second year, we began to grow and we had 55 guys in the home. Now, our home was only... Two bedrooms. So it was small, but it was two stories, so we had Filipinos stacked everywhere. <laughs> it was hard to walk around. You had to walk around like this when they are sleeping. But those men got saved, sanctified. I remember the police came one day. They go, what are you doing here? You guys uh, selling drugs? I go, no. We're not cutting in on your business, man. What you talking about? <laughs> you got a lot of drug addicts here. I go, yeah, but they're not drug addicts anymore. They're saved. They're sanctified. They're not ripping people off anymore. Now they're doing the right thing. They're trying to be good men of God. Okay. So they called the DDB to check us out. That's the dangerous drug board. So we had to become members of that. Amen. But I remember we would take the cross and the switchblade to all the barangays near the church. And we'd show it on the walls or wherever we could find. And God would begin to use that, that film to win people for his honor and glory. I remember one morning as I was praying, there was a knock on our gate, because we had a gate. There's high security over there, if you go over there. And this lady's banging. We're, you know, we're praying, we're getting a hold of God, me and the men. And she's knocking on the gate. And I go out there, I go, can I help you? She lives across the street. And she goes, did you know, like this, did you know there's an angel sitting on your gate? I go, I know. I put them there. I put them there every morning because I try to put the angels where I'm at. See, let me tell you what that did. It created an atmosphere. When people came in, they started manifesting because we encamped angels. When I pray, I cap angels around this building. When we have church, when I go home, I cap angels around my house. Let me. We control those angels. Let me tell you that right now. But, see, she had the ability to see them. I never saw them, but I knew they were there. Because demon-possessed guys would begin to manifest all the time. We started going to Bikutan, which is the the state-run, government-run rehab. And I kept listening to, I will give you treasures out of darkness. kept going through my mind and my heart. And I remember when I first met the commandant, that's what they call him, and they were dividing up. There's different pastors in there. I wasn't a pastor, but there were different pastors there. And they were taking different units. And they asked me, where do you want to take? I go, I want the worst guys. Give me the hardest ones. I want the ones that nobody could reach. And he goes, you sure? I go, yeah. That's where we want to go. That's why I'm here. So I have my little interpreter. This one was saved. he saved. This one's saved. He had to be on that day. Because we went in there, and there's a lot of people. And there's a bunch of empty chairs. And they were all inside looking at me. But then there was a cage behind, and there was a demon-possessed guy. And he started saying, we know who you are. And I said, in Jesus' name, fall down and shut up. And he did. When those inmates saw that, they came out because they saw the power of God. Let me tell you, if you believe, the power of God is operating within your life. Many of them got saved, and there was hundreds of them. And I went back the next week, and I get called to the commandant's office. I go, man, what did I do? I did something wrong, you know, like the principal's office or something. And he goes, what would you do over there? I I don't know. He goes, they're all asking for Bibles. I go, that's a good thing. Give them Bibles. They want to be discipled. Let's disciple them. These were the hardest guys, the guys that kept coming back and coming back and coming back. See, that's what you do when you operate in the power of God. You can do the same thing. I'm nobody, man. I didn't know what I was doing. But God was moving. Amen? I remember a guy came in the home. This kid, I got a call from his mom, never used drugs. He was in the university, straight A student. Straight A. Good kid. Brought up right. But he started getting involved in Dungeons and Dragons when it first came out. The devil stole his mind. They brought him in. He was walking like a zombie, like this. Drool coming out of his mouth. I prayed and asked God what we should do with this guy. God said, "Bring him in. I'm going to do a miracle." I got a little rebuke for bringing him in, but I brought him in because you got to listen to God. I brought him in, and he was drooling for about a week. I said, Lord, when are you going to deliver this boy? Because I knew it was a spiritual thing. It wasn't a mental thing. It wasn't a drug thing. It was bondage from the devil. So I just kept praying for him and praying for him and praying. Pretty soon, in a couple weeks, man, he was perfect. He got his mind back. No more drilling. Handsome kid. And he went back and he got his life together and God, God used him. He got saved. <laughs> Many miracles took place when we were out there, there was an atmosphere of power. Atmosphere of power, laying hands on the sick—that's what that scripture says. Many healing miracles took place, and every one of those people that got healed or delivered, oh, united we can—a great, great thanks. But I saw their gratefulness; they were grateful. There's music in the back. It's time to quit. <laughs> ooh, ooh la 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 la. Hallelujah. It might be cut off time. I'm checking right now. I forgot to see when I started. But I will always see the power of God. There's a place called Tatalon in, in Quezon City. Another rugged place, poor people, poor people. They all live in little, little shacks, a bunch of kids, bunch of people you see a little spot, and it'll, be, it'll look like a cave to us, but there'll be a lot of people living. I got a call. This little boy, 8-year-old boy, got hit by a jeepney, and he got rolled up under it. Bad, horrible. So I went to the hospital to pray for him, and I looked at him. I go, oh my God, this dude's tore up. And I, st- I had no faith. I had no faith when I walked in there because I see tubes and hoses and all kinds of crazy things in this little boy, man. And so I prayed a half-hearted prayer, and, and I left, and I said, oh, man, this kid's going to die. You know, that's what I thought. And I get downstairs, and I'm getting ready to leave, and the Holy Spirit slapped me. Did you ever get slapped by the Holy Spirit? He said, you go back up there, and you pray the way I taught you to pray. No half-hearted prayer. You go up there, and you pray fire on that boy. I'm going to do a miracle. So I went up there, and I started shandoing. I prayed hard for this kid. And then I left. The next day I got a call saying he was out of the coma, but he's blind. So he's blind? Oh, no, we ain't done. Because then I had a little faith. So I went back there and I prayed for him again. His eyes opened up, he was able to see. His name was Lawrence. The next time I saw Lawrence, he was 18 years old. Strong and big dude. But see, that's the power of God. That's the power of God. I'm going to move quickly now. I have a few more stories on healings, but we'll get it later. And lastly, it says, go unto all the world. The vision continues. Number four. Isaiah 54, 2 and 3. Enlarge the place of your tent and let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spare, lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. For you shall expand to the right and to the left and your descendants will inherit the nations and make the desolate cities inhabited." In the year 2000, Victor Ari San Pedro was birthed. He was birthed because I made a wrong turn. I was taking your mom to a ladies' gathering in Muntenlupa, and I didn't know the area, and I came out, go to the highway, and instead of taking a left, I took a right. Sometimes God will change your turns he wants you to make a right turn turn right and go straight that's not the way to get to heaven amen that's what pastor Steve was saying so I turned right and I went straight and I started looking at the people it's like a different place and all of a sudden my heart began to break for them I began to see them differently and I went back and after I picked up the ladies I took them back to Manila I talked to pastor Rich i go you know what we need to put a church here whoever needs to go there we need to go there and he said well you go so I said, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I started going back and forth, back and forth, and I would go there and I'd pray and I'd walk around and I'd, look, I'd meet the people and I'd walk around and pray for the city. And then God opened up the door. And, and in 2000, I got licensed. And we went and we, st- we got launched. We started the church right there. Pastor Sonny came and looked at it. He goes, brother, this looks pretty cool. United We Can got us a building. And also a rehab. Because we were going back and forth from Manila when we started pioneering, I had like three Filipinos and my pregnant wife, (laughs) and we'd get on the bus, we'd bring our chairs and go there. Because we're trying to get chairs so we could put it in the place. And I remember one day God said, "You know, buy 70 chairs. 70 chairs. We only got like three people. What do you mean 70 chairs?" But you know, I learned to be obedient to the voice of God. So I got those 70 chairs, and within a couple months, it was filled. Six months, before six months even, we were in double services because God began to move in such a powerful way, spreading to the left and to the right. Amen? So both cities began to grow in favor with God and man. The city governments even began to work with us. The city of Manila, under Mayor Ochenza, gave us the government rehab. We inhabited that thing, and it was huge. And we, and we began to do a work there in the city of Manila with their blessing. That's where we sent Chucky Lopez out. Yeah. Hello. We sent him to Bandung, Indonesia with a couple Filipinos. And they began to tear it up. Again, June, the guy that was on the bus with me, went with him. But he, he was a little bold, too bold for Bandung, Indonesia. Because you got to be undercover a little bit. There's a lot of Muslims there. But he would, because every night about 3 in the morning, I think they start going, and, you know, they got these speakers where they're praying early in the morning. So he would yell out the window speaking in tongues. (laughs) You can't do that, June. Calm down. But we were expanding to the left and to the right. Amen. And after being in the Philippines for around 10 years, and we made a change over there, and I went to Manila. I got a letter from a, a young man named Nandim. He was our very first graduate in the men's home, way back in the day. This was like ten years later, and he gave me a send me a letter. From, he was in Mindanao. Now, if you know anything about Mindanao, it's very radical Muslims over there, Al Qaeda, uh, ISIS, and all the crazy ones. They're all, they're all over there. That's where all the terrorists come from. And he goes, in the letter he's told me, he goes, I've been doing what you taught me. I'm going door to door preaching the gospel and winning souls. See, he didn't even get prayed out. He was doing what he was taught. So God moves, man. You don't need a title to to win souls. He's in the hardest area. This is worse than Bandung. This is where the, the terrorists are at. And he's out there winning souls for God's honor and God's glory. See, God's on the move. It's not done. We're expanding to the left and to the right. Every victory, every soul is a credit to every one of you that has even given one dollar to United We Can. It's very important that we give to this. Your crown is going to be jeweled with Asian treasures out of darkness. You're going to have pearls in there. Pearls of great price. Because you gave to United We Can. Everything we accomplished through United We Can was in the power and for the glory of God and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We don't take any credit. We give him all the glory because we couldn't handle it, number one. Number two, he did everything. We were just vessels. We were just obedient to the calling of Jesus Christ. Amen? Don't ever think it's you. It's not. It's all Jesus. Apart from him, we can't do anything. As I close, over and over again in Scripture, we read, in my name, in Jesus' name, in his name. Let me tell you, the devil was powerless because of his name. The devil has no authority because of his name. The blood he shed on Calvary gives us the power to use his name with authority. When people come in here demon-possessed, it's no big deal. It's no big deal. As I was walking around praying this morning, I walked by this lady, and she started going off. But it was the power of God touched her, and she knows it. It's the power of Almighty God. Every demon that's ever been cast out was in his name. We had this guy one time. Jerry, I'm going to do one more. Is I got time? His name was Jerry. He came in the home. And this guy didn't just have one demons, he had a bunch of demons. He had a bunch of demons. It took a Filipino on each leg and each arm to hold him down. He was bending like backwards. When he first started manifesting, he bent all the way backwards where the back of his head was touching his heels. Like, oh, we're in for one now. But we've been fasting and praying. The reason he manifested, the angels were there. The power of God was there. The atmosphere was there. And we began to pray for this dude. And the devil got mad. I got on his chest. I said, devil, you come out of him. And the devil goes, "I'm. I, you can't take him. He's mine. In a different voice, a weird voice. His eyes were like beet red. And I said, devil, you have no authority in this house. Who do you think you are? Get out of him. And you know what the devil did? He went, ah, and he left. He had no power. We got the power. We got the power. (laughs) Healing happens in his name. Salvation comes in his name. We are baptized in his name. We are justified in his name. Everything we do and say is done in his name. Jesus gets all the glory for everything that took place. He has given us, you and me, unlimited power in his name. See, Jesus' authority came because of his submission to his Father. Our authority comes by our submission to him. It's time to submit to God. You want the enemy to flee in your life? You want sickness to flee in your life? I believe God's going to do something powerful right now. I want every head bowed and every eye closed. I want you to focus on Jesus Christ, the author and the finisher of our faith. The only one that can.